is a good software developer? What do excellent developers do? There are probably as many answers to these questions as developers in the world. So let's ask veterans and newcomers what their story look like. Let's learn directly from them. Welcome to Developer's Journey. Hello, everyone. I'm here live in London with Anne Cahillan. Did I pronounce your name right? You did. Oh, I did. A plus. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, we are at the SPA conference, um, a tiny but gorgeous conference in London, in the middle of London. Um, the weather is great. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And Anne hold, uh, held a talk today. Um, that was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Talk about, about your experience um, growing from a junior developer to what cannot be named because there's no name for that. Um, so the middle career the mid-career, developer. We yeah. didn't settle on a good name yeah. uh, at, the, at the talk, unfortunately. Yeah, the, the problem being um, it's often referenced by what it's not. So it's not a junior anymore and it's not yet or not a senior. Mm-hmm. But this is not really uh, satisfying and uh, you were right in searching for that. So I hope you will find a, a, an idea for that someday. Yeah. And I thought there was a, this, this is absolutely gorgeous. This matches perfectly with developer journey. This is exactly what, um, we want to hear, uh, in developer journey, um, how people are progressing in their career, what ways they're uh, choosing, how they are growing and, and what makes their journey uh, unique. So welcome to the program. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. All right. Great. Um, do you want to start by explaining how you came to talking here? So how did, what's, what led to, to, uh, to you being here uh, today? Uh, so uh, what led to me being here at this conference uh, is that um, early on in my uh, career, I realized that um, I love going to conferences. I love traveling in general. And if you speak at a conference, frequently they will pay some or part of your travel expenses. So you can go to interesting places <clears throat> and go to interesting conferences um, for the low, low cost of standing up in front of people and talking, uh, which is a thing I'm comfortable doing anyway. So... I, I sort of leaned in and took advantage of it. Um, specifically, this conference is each of the sessions is uh, supposed to be interactive. It's supposed to be some sort of hands-on workshop or some sort of conversation. Uh, the talk I was giving here is on figuring out the middle part of your career. Uh, like you said, when you're not, you're sort of defined by negative space. You're not junior anymore, but you haven't reached senior yet. What is, what's the route between those two points? Um, that's where I'm at at, that, at this point in my career. And I realized that not only could I get um, get to London, which is a cool city, and get to participate in this really cool conference, which had a lot of really interesting sessions, um, but also I could uh, tap the collective brains of everyone who attended my session to get the kind of career advice that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit of grifter mentality got me here, um, got me here to SPA specifically. Uh, in terms of how I got to a point where I could be submitting uh, help me figure out the middle of my career talk to a conference. Um, I did not take by any means the direct road into a tech career. Um, My background is in history and literature. Uh, I sort of uh, was always around computers. We had a computer in the house when I was growing up and was very comfortable with them, but um, never really gravitated towards uh, let's take them apart and see what makes them work. Or let's make them do a thing. Um, I actually worked in public relations for about 10 years and hated every minute of it. It was awful. Um, but I was sort of stuck there. And through a sort of roundabout series of, of events, I discovered um, the idea of 
development boot camp, the you know sort of short, intense programs where you pay somebody a pile of money and they teach you how to be a junior developer, or that's the promise anyway. Um, so I, I did that. I you know quit uh, the job that I had, moved from Detroit, which is where I'm normally based, to Toronto. Went to uh, Bitmaker Labs, where they tried to shape me into a uh, junior Ruby uh, Ruby on Rails developer. Um, learned a little bit of JavaScript, learned a little bit of a lot of things, um, was in Toronto for a little while. And then a friend back in Detroit emailed me and said, there's this company called Detroit labs and they are, uh, starting something called an apprenticeship program. Um, and you should apply for it. it might be useful to you. Uh, so I applied for that. Luckily I got in on the, the first cohort when the competition wasn't very stiff. Um, and the, uh, Detroit labs, is a mostly mobile um, services shop. Uh, and they were having a hard time hiring iOS developers in Detroit. Um, so they decided to make a bunch of iOS developers in Detroit. Uh, I got in on the first cohort. Um, they actually paid a smallish, but at that point still more than I had ever made in my life salary, um, provided some benefits, taught, uh, there was an intensive learning portion, um, and then slowly transferred all of us on to uh, client projects. Uh, and we all became billable developers, uh, within a year. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, I've heard of other apprentice programs, but they usually take on like one or two people. Mm-hmm. I was in a cohort of 12. Whoa. Yeah. And, uh, over half of us are still working as developers, uh, and completed the, the course successfully, which is pretty good for the first time they tried something this kind of audacious. It is. Um, yeah. And, uh, from there, uh, I started, uh, the apprenticeship in 2014, uh, 2014, um, banged my head up, up against objective C for, uh, three or four months and then sat down and watched WWDC where they announced a newer, friendlier language, um, and then jumped on Swift just as soon as I could, yes. um, and have been working as an iOS developer for Detroit labs for ever since. Uh-huh. Cool. Cool. Um, let's recap that and, and, and clarify maybe. Yeah. Um, how does bootcamp work? Uh, so the one that I went to, they're all, I think, uh, roughly the same model. Um, the one that I went to, uh, it was, an, I think, a nine-week program. Um, and the idea is they are starting you from very little. Uh, we had some pre-work that was basically an introduction to the command line. You know, here's how you open up a terminal and, and press some buttons and make a thing happen. Um they taught uh, sort of from scratch, uh, very basic Ruby, a little bit of JavaScript. Um, they moved us very quickly from sort of vanilla Ruby to Ruby on Rails. Um, and, you know, some testing, some the idea of uh, test-driven development, um, the ideas of pairing, some of those other like extreme programming things. Um, yeah, and it was, it was intense. Uh, they advertise that you're going to be spending like 60 hours a week at work. They undersell that dramatically. <laughs> okay. It was, uh, it was intense. It was, uh, pretty much nonstop. It's a good thing I was in a, a whole new city in a, an entirely different country because, um, I didn't have time for friends or family or talking to anybody mm-hmm. or really doing anything, but sort of trying to pour as much knowledge into my head as I could. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, the boot camp thing in the states uh, at least has sort of waxed and waned a little. Um, it was a very uh, sort of exploded as an idea and as a way to get um, 
to get people who had not gotten a CS degree or who had done something else in their life into the tech industry that desperately needed people to, you know, sit in front of a computer and press some buttons. Um, the downfall to it or the, the part that's kind of hard is that the promise was zero to junior developer. It did not. There's no way you can do that. Even with nonstop working for, for nine weeks, you uh, go from zero to ready to become a really good junior developer. Mm-hmm. Um, how come? How did you, or maybe I rephrase that. Yeah. Um, how did you realize this? What were the symptoms or the, the signs that... that um... I would uh, I would look at like how much support you're going to need on a project when you come on. And uh, my experience, especially coming out of my boot camp, was that um, with a lot of support, a lot, a lot of support, everybody could uh, contribute to a project and ramp up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think about, uh, you know, a junior developer who has come out of a CS degree or something like that, um, or who has a little deeper background uh as opposed to just like a short, intense immersion, mm-hmm. uh, some of that knowledge is settled a little more and they mm-hmm. need a little bit less handholding. I think people coming out of a boot camp, uh, at least the one that I went to and the, you know, the ones that I've seen around uh, since are primed for something like an apprenticeship, primed for something where you can give them a little more uh, explicit education. A little more like actual, you know, maybe sitting in a classroom or maybe, uh, you know, a sort of guided hack project sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in a great place for that. And we'll come out of that in a short time ready to actually contribute to a project. And, you know, you can in good conscience bill a client for their time. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's define apprenticeship now. Yeah. Um, how is it in, uh, in relation to, to this, this boot camp? Uh, How did it work? Well, how did it work at uh, Detroit Lab? Uh, the one uh, at Detroit Lab is the model that we've been following. Uh, and mine was merely the first cohort we've had. Uh, I think we're about to kick off the sixth cohort. Um, not fifth or sixth, somewhere in there. Um, but the way it, it works is it is a uh, explicit classroom portion where you are sitting with an instructor who is... Um, giving you actual hands-on education in the context that you're going to be working in the technology you're going to be working. We've run them for iOS. We've run them for Android. We've mm-hmm. run them for uh, JavaScript. Uh, and we actually did a QA one as well. Um, and from there, after you do some classroom sort of guided coursework, there's a lot of sort of structured projects. You work on a small team uh, to build a thing. Usually that's um, self-directed. Your team decides what they want to build and you build a thing. And then you break into smaller groups. Maybe a pair is going to make a thing mm-hmm. or you're going to shuffle up those teams. Uh, and then eventually you complete a final project that is your work. Uh, and that's sort of your chance to prove that you've learned something and then you could be moved on to a client project. And after that point, um, you do get moved on as a junior developer to a client project. Um, I, you'd have to talk to the business people about the juggle of like when we can bill somebody for their time. Mm-hmm. But the goal is it's, you know, you learn, you prove that you have learned something. Uh, you get some experience doing things like reviewing uh, a colleague's pull request and reviewing their code, um, working in uh, some sort of source, source control. Uh, you get those that kind of experience, breaking a, a project down to smaller pieces. Mm-hmm. All of those things that you're going to need on a like a real real life big girl pants project. Um, and then you get moved on to one of those. Mm-hmm. And usually uh, with a mentor who is there to, you know, available to you for questions, for pairing, 
um, we're sort of thoughtful about like, can this project absorb, you know, a you know junior who's going to you know break some stuff and slow everybody down, um, and then for my experience was it was sort of a slow, steady kind of all right. You get more responsibility. We're gonna like be a little more back hands off. You know, the the senior developer that was on the project that I was first on would slowly be like, all right, I can trust you to not set anything on fire while I work on this thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to work on this thing. You just don't set anything on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Going from push model maybe to a pull model. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, How does this relate to the, um, when I think about apprenticeship, I think about this guild model with apprentice, junior, uh, journeyman, uh, and master. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you map this? Um, My feeling is that... um, the apprenticeship was over, and now you're you've reached uh, the entry level of journeyman, and now you're you're sufficient or, or proficient enough to be on your own in the world and start learning on your own. Is this uh, how it's supposed That's, to work? That uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. That sort of maps to how I think about it, and I think about um, the sort of things that if you think about uh, guilds or, or craftsmen or tradesmen, um, a lot of what you do as an apprentice when you're you know historically an apprentice carpenter or an apprentice, you know, blacksmith or something like that. A lot of what you're doing is very repetitious and it's very uh, low stakes. Uh, You think about an apprentice blacksmith making a lot of nails. Mm -hmm. It's okay if you screw up one or two nails, we can melt them down and build them. (laughs) Um, We're not going to have you like machining engine parts just yet. But man, if you keep up with those nails, then pretty soon you are going to make a perfect nail and we're going to be like, that's great. Now try something more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of maps to to my experience uh, coming out of the apprenticeship. Um, the first sort of project I was put on was a lot of, you know, we need some UI stuff. We need you to make sure these labels are correct. We need to make sure the background color is all good. Um, if you're off by three shades of blue, nothing's going to collapse. We're just going to tell you to go, you know, fix the blue. Um, and then slowly moving up to like, okay, here's this bug. We're pretty sure this is how, what's causing it investigate and, and come up with a solution. Uh, so it's a bug where they've already kind of got an idea what it is. You know, I'm not going to blow anything up. I'm not going to come up with anything too crazy because mm-hmm. they've already given me a direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, explore that, come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on to like, here's a simple feature. We need to add another screen to this app. Uh, go ahead and do that. You know, again, it's a little more complex than just changing a background color, uh, but also not going to be terribly dangerous. Uh, until eventually you do get handed something dangerous where you're like, here, you know, this API call is failing. Um, it's showing up in production. Everybody's screaming. What do you think it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Really interesting. Um, during your talk, though, you presented your move or, or the final step of your journey, uh, your junior... Dom- juniorness. Juniorness, okay. yeah. yeah. Your juniorness. As being kind of abrupt and being it kind felt of, that uh, way. Yeah, uh, which which uh, perfectly maps for me with the idea of a journeyman. It's yeah. now you know everything. I as as my master as a master, you say, well, you know everything I know. So now out the door and go in the world, which is kind of <laughs> what should I do now? <laughs> yeah, and that's how it felt when you describe it. Now, can can you describe it again? Or, um, or? Yeah, that's and that's how it felt for me. So we had uh, at Detroit Labs, we had. Uh, they announced one day that they were going to start evaluating the former apprentices, current junior developers to see if any of them had progressed out of junior developerdom. And they weren't really clear about what the criteria were or what were being evaluated against. And I was in a position where I was 
just the best junior developer I could be. And I felt like I was awesome because I was asking all the questions and I was, you know, encouraging all of the feedback and like taking everything I could and just trying to absorb as much as I could. And I kind of felt like I had gotten really good at this, you know, whatever this thing is of being junior developer, I felt like I'd gotten very good at it. And that was about the moment that they sent an email to the entire company saying, congratulations, Anne is no longer a junior developer. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. And in my talk, I describe it as like going from the top of one mountain to the bottom of another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the complicating thing is uh, a lot of the stuff you're learning as a junior developer is sort of the distinction between simple and easy. It's not easy. A lot of it's very hard, but it's simple in the sense that you're asking a lot of questions that have definitive answers to them. How do I do this thing? Mm-hmm. You know? what's the approach we take here? Like how it's all a lot of how questions that you can find an answer to. There's a right way to, you know, or at least a better way and a worse way um, to do things like change your background color. Um, as a sort of mid-career developer, as a sort of journeyman, once you're, once you're out of that, now you're facing questions that don't have answers. They're judgment call questions. They're, you know, what's the best approach to take with this particular API in, you know, to move it to these particular models. There's a thousand ways to do that. If you're super lucky, one of them's bad. <laughs> Mostly it's all of them are kind of okay. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, another talk I went to where they talked about how there were three, you know, you're, you're faced with three options. Um, frequently, one of them is the one you don't want to do. One of them is the one that's going to be really complicated. And one of them is the one you absolutely hate. Mm-hmm. You know, and you got to pick which three of those you're going to go with. Those are the questions you get faced with. Absolutely. Uh, when you are no longer a junior developer. Um, absolutely. That's, that's, that's exactly how I picture it. But still, I, I wonder, you didn't change in one, one night. So no. what, what, what changed? Is it the, is it the, uh, the, the, uh, the impression um, that something else is expected from you? Is it a peer pressure? Is it, did people start behaving differently with you? Not, Not that I noticed at first, but what I started to notice was that uh, my responsibilities or what was expected of me on a particular project was changing. Uh, One of the things I talk about in in my talk was the feedback I got from the project I was on right after uh, my promotion. Um, I spent maybe a solid year after that promotion pretending it didn't happen. I was like, I'm just going to keep being a junior (laughs) developer because I'm good at that. It's been working out so far. Um, and then I went on a new project and I was like, I'm going to be a junior developer. It's been working out for me. Great. Um, and the feedback I got towards the end of that project was that I hadn't contributed enough to the decisions that were being made, that I hadn't spoken up enough, that they didn't get my, my voice heard when there were architecture decisions being made. Um, and that sort of was an eye opener to me that like now, instead of as a junior developer, you're expected in those conversations to ask smart questions, um, And sort of absorb what's going on. How are these decisions being made? Sort of take that in. Um, And what I was expected to do now was to contribute to them. To Mm -hmm. have more than just questions. To have an opinion. Uh, And I was not prepared for that yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like to think that I took that feedback and then started having opinions in my next project. uh, And started being able to, uh, and this was terrifying the first couple of times I did that. To be able to say, I, you know what? I don't know if that's the best approach. Or 
to know that, you know, there's this meeting coming up. We're going to be making this decision at this meeting. I need to read up on what this decision is. I need to think about it in terms of what if there was nobody else in this meeting and I had to like go sit in a room and come up with a sticky note of like, this is what we're going to do. Um, and actually sort of take a stand kind of, um, and that was, that was really scary and I'm still not entirely comfortable with it. Um, I'm not sure one should ever be comfortable with that, but, uh, I've definitely not, I, I hard, it's hard for me to speak with that kind of authority. Uh, so I sort of forced myself to do it. Mm-hmm. That's a good trick. Um, if I might quote you during the talk, oh, I, right. I wrote this down because I found it really interesting is being a junior is all about getting better and yeah. being you know, not junior anymore is getting good at it. Yeah. And I find really true. You have expectations from a junior that, um, a relative expectation. So it's going to be better than yesterday and it's yeah. going to be better than the day before. Somebody, uh, somebody, one of the participants in the, the fishbowl conversation said that uh, his expectation of junior developers is that they're going to fail. And that mm-hmm. the expectation is that they're going to fail. Uh, with I'm assuming the attendant expectation that they're going to learn from failure, fail in new and exciting ways uh, tomorrow. Um, going from... There's, there's a comfort in that. I mean, being a junior developer is terrifying because you always think you're going to set the project on fire and that everybody thinks you're dumb and that um, you're two seconds away from getting fired. Like that's that's sort of the brain's mindset of a junior developer at all times, or at least in my experience it has been. Um, but there's also a sort of safety there in that um, people expect you to fail. Nobody expects you to be good. That's something that I tell junior developers now and I mean it to be reassuring that nobody expects you to be any good at that. And when they're coming to me frustrated and like, oh, I don't know how to do this. And so, of course, you don't know how to do this. If you knew how to do this, we'd, you know, expect an entirely different set of things from you. You know, we'd be paying you on a different scale, if nothing else. Uh, there's a safety in that. There's a safety in you expect me to fail. And I feel like part of the, the change in perception of other people from a junior developer to, to mid-level and beyond is... We no longer expect you to fail. Now we expect you to be competent. We expect you, doesn't mean you're never going to make a mistake, but that we expect you to be kind of good at this. Like, you know, sort of get it, not fail all the time. And the mistakes that you make aren't necessarily failure mistakes. So. Mm-hmm. Did this realization change? Um, maybe two steps two step before. Uh, do, you have, um, do you have contact with the new uh, juniors? Are you supposed to to uh, to guide them to guide yeah. them? And did this realization change the way you are working with them? Yes. Um, so at Labs is very much a culture, as you can imagine, from a place that comes up with an apprenticeship in the beginning. Um, it's very much a culture of learning and very much a culture of teaching. And my experience there has been tremendously supportive. Uh, we have explicit mentorship programs and also a lot of implicit mentorship when you're pairing uh, with more senior people and things like that. Um, and for me, the impression that I was, uh, I, I don't know how this sounds, but um, no longer appear to a junior developer, but someone who could teach them something. Um, that was really powerful. And it did a lot for my confidence. And it did a lot for, um, I don't know, I, I every once in a while turn around and look at sort of like the arc of this decision to change careers and do something different and realize I have come a certain distance. Um, I am now ha- like half the time that I spent working in PR. That is now how long I have been not doing that, mm-hmm. moving on this different direction. And yeah. that's kind of a, a little dizzying sometimes to think about. Um, 
And that those moments of, you know, I can provide reassurance. I can uh, provide support. I can teach somebody something. I have experience that I have lived through that is kind of a complete thing, sort of a discrete, like, I have been a junior developer. It's a thing that, that happened and is over, and now I'm, I'm some other thing. Um, that gives me a different perspective and the kind of advice that I can give from the, you know, you're not expected to be good at this, calm down, to you'll live through this, it'll be fine. You know, this is, you know, survivable. I got here. I'm not that great. <laughs> you say, you're saying you were pretty good in stage. I oh, can thank tell. you. Um, let's stick to the stage uh, mm -hmm. thing. How did you come to um, teaching like this? To being able to go on stage, have a really uh, clean and neat uh, set of slides, have a really um, concise and and, um, and well thought uh, train of thoughts, and take a room of 30 people, something like this, um, to a position where we can uh, do a fishbowl, so a discussion, mm -hmm. an open discussion with a few questions yes was a, was a trigger uh, for half an hour. That was really moderated and, and went went well. How, how did you get there? Um, That's a good question, uh, and I'm not entirely sure I know the answer to it. Um, some people have a fear of public speaking. I am not. I've never been, really. Um, I'm afraid of heights and spiders instead. Uh, other people can go up on, on high things. I cannot. Um, I have done uh, like community theater type stuff. Like I've acted before on stage, mm -hmm. so... Um, This is, you know, speaking my own words is not as scary as trying to remember somebody else's in order that somebody else is relying upon. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that, um, that confidence. And then um, one of the things that I, I learned when I was doing uh, sort of community theater type stuff was that I enjoy it. Um, I, I just like it. There's something about the energy you get on stage and the energy that comes to the stage from an audience. Like it's, it's much more of a conversation than people realize. Um, I enjoy going to theater even as an, a spectator and being part of that conversation in a way that's um, kind of hard to describe. Um, and also I've uh, done a, a fair bit of conference speaking and meetup speaking because early on um, I sort of hit on that as a way to build my confidence. Um, I'm sort of a strong believer in that, you know, you don't know something until you can teach it to somebody else. Um, so while I was in boot camp, coming out of boot camp during the apprenticeship, um, I would take opportunities to cement that I knew something or share an insight and feel a little less alone in the world um, or in the position that I'm, that I'm in uh, by, by speaking in front of other people. So I'm a... Um, I'm constantly trying to advocate for people to do this. I know that public speaking is not for everyone. Um, I know that it is terrifying. I also think you should do one scary thing every day. <laughs> But um, I'm constantly trying to encourage others to. Um, there's also a measure of... Uh, I like to go to conferences. I feel very engaged and inspired when I come to a conference. Everyone is like a recharge of the batteries to go do creative and interesting things. But I have noticed that there are very few people who look like me on stages at conferences or wandering around at conferences. Um, there's a couple axes to that. I'm, uh, I'm a woman. I'm 41 years old, so I'm older than a lot of the people who uh, I work with. Um, and I want to, 
I want to sort of be an example to other people that uh, that look like me that have not taken the sort of you know I got super into math when I was in high school and I took trigonometry and then I you know got a CS degree and like who didn't take that path um, for a bunch of different reasons. Or for people who look around the industry and don't see anyone who looks like them, so they think that the industry is not for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's important to me is to make sure that um, I'm visible in that way, and that I show people that it's achievable. It's not that hard, and it's not that scary to to go up there and do that. And then also, I am very aware that there are people in the world who, um, very few, but vocal who don't see the lack of people who are not, you know, youngish white men as a problem. Um, so there's also a small measure of, like, in your face to those guys. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> as a white male in my 30s. <laughs> um, you, you, you didn't say it, but you're touching the, the idea of a role model. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a role model? in these five years, last five years, to look up to? Um, I've had a couple. I've been very, very lucky in that. Um, the first one, and this is very cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway, is my mom. Uh, she was a, a mainframe developer. Um, she was one. Uh, she started taking um, computer science and programming classes in the late 60s at the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um And I remember uh, she was working on a project for the National Bank of Detroit, converting their machines from punch cards to tapes Ooh. when I was a very little kid. So I remember her bringing the punch cards home for us to color on. Cool. Um, but she's always been uh, inspirational in that way, uh, where I, this was, you know, I, I didn't think this was a thing that I could do because I didn't have the same math background that she had. Um, but that's a, that's a different issue. Once I started moving into this area, um, and started, you know, doing online tutorials and things like that. Like looking at her and being like, man, you like programmed massive financial transactions. That's amazing. Um, and also she's always been very supportive, uh, vocally in anything I wanted to do. She's always been a main cheerleader. Cool. Um, and then, uh, besides my mom, um, At Detroit Labs, there's a, an amazing woman uh, named Erica Langerand who is running our apprenticeship and training uh, programs right now. She followed a very similar path uh, that I did. She was working in, I believe, in psychology, like a psychology field. Uh, also, wasn't fulfilled, so she went and taught herself. Uh, I believe she taught herself Java and uh, got herself a job in uh at a you know, development company in Detroit and sort of worked her way up the ladder and uh, has been instrumental in uh, this sort of turning around and pulling people up behind her. Uh, and very much the sensibility of Detroit Labs training programs and Detroit Labs apprenticeship programs come from her and from this idea that um, anybody can do this given sufficient time and space and nurturing to do it. Um, and also she's a, a great cheerleader of anybody. Uh, if you are ever in a moment where you are doubting yourself and you need somebody to tell you that you're great and you can do it, uh, Erica's always right there. <laughs> she's wow. pretty amazing. That sounds like a, like a great mentor. Yeah. She's probably the main professional mentor I've had and I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, have you had the chance to, uh, to replicate this, uh, with, The next generation, um, the sixth generation, the fifth generation cohort uh, no. <laughs> of your apprenticeship, or maybe the fourth or the third. Um, 
I certainly try. Uh, I um, Detroit Labs has a, a program. Um, we're, we're committed to being a flat organization with very little sort of formal leadership uh, in structure and hierarchy in the traditional sense. So we launched recently a program of guides where uh, you are like every every employee has a guide. Then there's a cohort of guides. Um, there's the people you turn to for career advice or for um, you know problem resolution or you know any number of things. All of the things that you would go to a really good manager for, except for the part where we're the boss of you because we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am. Uh, there are some amazing people that I am guiding who are. Um, incredible and smart and are, are, you know, the ones that are not more senior than me already are going to be any minute now. Um, and I spend a lot of time thinking, uh, about the people who have mentored me and like, what would they do? What's, what would Erica say in this minute? What would my mom say right now? Um, and luckily they're both still around so I can ask them, but, (laughs) but I, I very much try and follow the model and, um, think about how I could not have gotten where I am at now if I didn't have a lot of support and encouragement and to make sure that that's available to the people that I'm sort of formally uh, mentoring in that way or guiding in that way and also as informally as, as much as possible. Um, one of my best friends right now is somebody who our friendship started. She was in the cohort after me uh, in the apprenticeship and out of the blue, she texted me one day having sort of a panic attack about how hard everything was and how, you know, and I have no idea why we're friends because my response was, yeah, it's super hard. You're doing a hard thing. You should be kind of freaking out about it. I mean, don't, you're doing fine, but yeah, it's understandable. This is really hard. I'm, I'm, she said that was great and supportive. I look back at it now and I think, God, that was a jerk move. Just tell her she's doing great. What's wrong with you? Yeah, but that's, I think it's, uh, that's. It's exactly the career advice and the, the support that's needed in such a, such a moment. And the thing that just, that only a mentor can do. I've had similar discussions with my mentees, uh, where they say, well, you were there at the right moment to say the right thing. And this was not what a friend would have said, not the, the kind of, uh, comforting, reassuring, uh, comment that we expected from a supported person. Uh, it was instead the hard truth, but in a neat way that was helpful. And uh, so I'm not totally surprised by that. That's uh, that's that's what I've seen work. So no, all right. Since I'll stop kicking myself for that one, but yeah, no. I still feel like you can pat yourself <laughs> on the shoulder. It sounds great. Sounds great. Um, it may be a bit early to ask this question, but um, did you learn something from your the feedback of your talk or discussion? Uh, are you taking something with you? By, uh, many notes. I think yeah. something like twelve post-its. Um, oh yeah, a giant fully, pile of yeah. post-its. Um, yeah, there were a couple of things, um, two really concrete ones. Um, I think one of them came from you, actually, was to keep a log of sort of the successes that you have and to mm-hmm. set aside time every week to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I already kind of do that when something big happens, but the idea of celebrating every week you accomplished something, you did something you should be proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm definitely going to, like, that's going to be a calendar entry. Yes. Um, because I, I do think we, if we do mark that stuff as it happens, it tends to be the big things and not the little stuff. And I'm a firm believer that the sort of life and universe is made up of a bunch of little things. So you should pay attention to those. Um, and then the other one, which I am going to start as soon as I get home, is uh, the woman who said that her um, office or her women in tech support group, it was one or the other, has a um, channel in their their Slack or HipChat or whatever um, for, uh, Friday bragging. 
about like a chance to sort of uh, turn that that uh, little successes each week into something that the community can celebrate, the whole company or everybody. Uh, I think that's the sort of thing that not, to not just have look at the cool stuff I did. I have this little private log of it, but to uh, publicize that a little so that the small successes get seen by everybody else and also get applauded by everybody else. And yeah, there's a power in having people say, hey, you did a great job. Um, whether it's a small thing or a big thing, it's, you know, mm-hmm. I think the tech industry gets a little competitive and weird and, you know, all it's toxic in a bunch of different ways. And one of the ways to stop that is to, within your own small little bit of it, remind each other that you're doing something cool and sort of lift each other up as much as you can. Aiming to that. I picked up that one as well. Yeah. Um, very neat to, uh, to, uh, to implement that as well, but that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, that sounds like two great ideas. Not because one of them was just by me, but um, this Friday bragging as well. Yeah. Um, it's cool. Very thank cool. you. Talking to you. I think thank we you. have a we have a wrap up uh, point. Um, cool. Where can the listeners uh, find about you, can, you or uh, you can find me? I am uh, north of normal on just about everything. Okay. Um, so I'm north of normal on Twitter and I'm on GitHub and you can email me at north of normal at Gmail. Um, working on getting a website, but it'll get there someday. <laughs> Is there a story behind the north of normal? Um, You know, when I I first got my Gmail address, um, I was trying to come up with something clever and I was trying to come up with something that would be a good blog title. And this was well before I was thinking about the tech industry at all. Um, and I was trying to think about uh, where I was in life and what about my personality I would want to highlight. Um, and I like to think that I am a little bit north of normal myself, <laughs> a little bit, you know, it's within sight, but I'm not quite there. Uh, cool. So that's sort of how I how I envision that. Cool, very inspiring. Thank you. Cool, great. Um, so I encourage people to get in touch with you um, if they had some more questions or oh, they were certainly. inspired. Please with do, some, some please do. I will add the say the different um, uh, links to the show notes uh, where you can find you. Thanks. And uh, hope to uh, be talking to you again in a few years when uh, when you're further in your career and <laughs> a little you can, further down the road. Yeah, you can look back at this and say, well, how. Uh, how very wrong I was. <laughs> <laughs> or you say, wow, uh, I was, I was somehow, yeah. somehow right. We'll see. Cool. All right. Thank you very much. Thank this was great. Right. It was great talking to you. Dear listener, if you haven't subscribed yet, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and much more. And if you like what we do, please help your fellow developers discover the podcast by rating it and writing a comment on those platforms. Thanks again, and see you in two weeks.